I'm Andy Crouch, inviting you to download and listen to the new Beer Edge podcast, a source for news, information, and insight regarding the brewing industry and the impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic. The show, co-hosted by John Hall and I, talks with key players on the front lines of the beer business to give you insights and advice on how to navigate these uncharted waters. The Beer Edge podcast is available on all major platforms, or you can visit us at beeredge.com podcasts. Thanks for your support. This is Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. I'm John Hall, and today my guest is author and writer Pete Brown, who is zooming in from London. Hello, Pete. How are you? I'm very good, thanks. John, how are you? I'm doing all right, and I'm going to get to a more proper introduction in just a moment, but first I'm happy to tell you all that this episode is produced by Beer Edge. Check out BeerEdge.com for articles, podcasts, and to subscribe to the newsletter written by myself and Andy Crouch. Also be sure to follow Beer Edge on social media at The Beer Edge. All right, that's out of the way. Uh, Pete Brown is here today, obviously, and if you are interested in the subject of beer, it's likely that you've already heard his name and read his words. He's the author of nine books, not only on beer, but cider and food as well, and his prose effortlessly brings readers along on journeys, whether it's walking through orchards, sitting at the pub, or traversing oceans with IPA. His latest book, written and published during this COVID-19 lockdown, has just been released, We'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, Pete, thanks for being here and good afternoon to you. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Nice to, nice to virtually see you again. <laughs> it's been a while. Um, yeah. First off, on behalf of all writers, I just want to express my displeasure with you. What's that uh, for? Well, writing and publishing a book in just three months, uh, most of us take at least double that and oftentimes longer just for the writing. Your work ethic is making us look bad, so please don't do this again. <laughs> Um, I, 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 I think I might have started something dreadful. Uh, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it, the thing is, it's uh, we, we, the self-publishing side of it. So both me and my wife found ourselves on the day of lockdown with no work, no income, uh, no diary. Um, we're, we're both uh, shielding because of underlying health conditions. So we realized that we weren't going out. Yesterday was the four-month anniversary of me last leaving the house. Wow. So uh, we... Um, we realized we had to do something and it's um and when i i, I was actually in um i was actually in quarantine for two for two weeks um i was traveling before that 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 week that, that we started locking down and um i was with various people who contracted full-blown covid and liz's lungs simply would not um do very well if she got it so i was confined to my study for two weeks uh, getting three meals a day brought to my door which was really awesome and uh, got a beer fridge and a kettle in the study and that was kind of it's kind of cool in a way um but when i got out of my quarantine I, I had this timing plan with liz where i said look how about we do this and you are the uh minor uh, producer picture research you, you know um, and so it was very much a joint project between us. And she's been on, in particular, has been on such a big learning curve about self-publishing um, that we're now kind of seriously looking at, uh, yeah, why don't we do this again? Why don't we commission other writers? So uh, the, 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 we, we may have accidentally launched our own publishing arm. So the new book is called Craft and Argument. Um, and I, I, I want to dive into to all of this in, in, in just a minute, but I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, You're, you were talking about your own quarantine and, and, and lockdown. Um, we're recording this very close to the air date of the show. So I wonder if you can sort of share 
how things are in London right now uh, with respect to COVID and how you see how it's impacting the brewing industry in your country and maybe any lessons or observations uh, you all have learned after your pubs reopened, I think on July 4th, right? That was right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's been a, it's been a, a up and down, you know, I mean, uh, if you ask me this question again in a week's time, uh, it'll probably be completely different uh, as it would have been a week ago. Um, we, we have a sense of our government really not knowing what they're doing. Um, it's just really um, bizarre. And, and, our, our only comfort we can we, we can relate yes uh, when, when we're talking about this our, our every conversation about it ends with well at least we're not the united states but if, if 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 you weren't there if you weren't there to make us feel better about ourselves we would be uh, uh panicking well we are i mean um happy we, to help yeah we yeah so so the government have just announced that in two weeks time uh mandatory masks uh well masks will be mandatory in um public Sorry about that. Uh, in, in two weeks' time, masks are going to be mandatory in shops. Um, on Sunday, uh, a government minister said that definitely wasn't going to happen. Yesterday, it definitely was going to happen. And, and it's just kind of weird advice all the time. And, you know, we, we've got uh, a death rate currently that's higher than the rest of Europe combined. So it's not going so well. Um, the industry, I did some analysis on this last, uh, last week. Um, and um, we've got a lot of misinformation here. Uh, there's a lot of stories in the press about how we're drinking ourselves to death. Yeah. Um, and, and stories are only based on uh, off sales. You know, they don't take into account the fact that the on-trade disappeared for two and a half months. Sure. And, uh, and then on, on the day that pubs reopened, there was a lot of nasty sensationalist press um, talking about people uh, flouting social distancing regulations, about how these stupid, i.e. read working class uh, oafs were going to um, cause a second spike and things like this. In reality, uh, pubs are down about uh, between 30 and 50 percent on their normal business for this time of year. And um, we uh, also about only about half of pubs have reopened yet, with, even with one meter social distancing. For about 25 percent of pubs, it's simply not viable for them to reopen. Um, so it's really hitting um, small businesses really hard. And I broke the figures down and all beer is down, everyone's hurting, um, but lager is down by about half as much as ale. And uh, I did some crunching of the numbers. Before lockdown, ale was 18% of all the beer that we drink in the UK. Okay. And, it's and it's responsible for 48% of the drop in beer since uh, a year ago. So That's amazing. Ale has taken the brunt of it because ale skews 70% towards pubs. Lager skews about 55% towards take-home. So everybody's buying from supermarkets uh, with the pubs being closed. Supermarkets go big beer, mainstream lager. Uh, small pubs can't reopen. Small pubs favour uh, craft beer uh, and ale brewers. So the, the lockdown has affected small brewers and independent brewers far, far worse than it has big brewers. It's really grim. We've talked in the past, and there's obviously been reports of the British pub culture, even before COVID, uh, being in a, in, a, in a tough spot. Um, you know, th things were on the decline, um, uh, sort of this national identity uh, of the pub was not what it used to be. Um, how, how do you see it? Um, how, do you, how, how do you see the pub industry coming out of COVID, whenever that may be? Yeah, on a, on a daily basis, uh, we, we face a choice of 
going glass half empty or glass half full sure. or questions like this. Uh, you can you can create a compelling case that of, of doom and gloom, and, you, and at the same time you can create a compelling case that things are going to bounce back pretty well. Um, I think the indi the a significant indicator for me is that the week running up to July fourth. Um, my phone was off the hook. Uh, I, I, I think I did about four radio appearances. Um, I, was, I was across the BBC. I was on late night talk radio. Um, everybody wanted a perspective on, on pubs reopening. And everybody wanted to talk about the unique role that the pub plays in British social life. Yeah. So it's, it's definitely reminded us. Given that, if, if, you, if you look at the way COVID is designed, it's like it was designed to destroy the pub in particular you know social distancing uh, we can't buy rounds we can't stand at the bar we can't toast with with glasses we can't hug our mates uh, it, it targets every single aspect of what makes the pub special and um and people have really really missed it and they're really keenly aware of how special pubs were so yes people are nervous about going back uh, but at the same time it's it's become a symbol of uh, of, of the kind of reawakening after covid really well, I want to transition to to the book then, um, you know, because it, it's so interesting that you're saying that the pubs, you know, do favor craft these days, you know, more than some of the uh, in, industrial loggers um, as well. What is the argument for craft? So my argument in the book, um, I think anyone, probably, probably anyone listening to this show is aware of the the definition. Nobody listens to the show, by the way. But yeah, that's very kind of you. <laughs> uh, I, I think everyone's aware of the definitional arguments around craft, and yeah. uh, and it's something which I find incredibly frustrating. And if I, I think one of the one of the impetuses to write the book was that uh, the Brewers Association in the states, as well as you know their equivalent CBA here in the UK, uh, and uh, the uh, Independent Brewers Association in Australia. Everyone seems to be retreating from the word craft mm -hmm. um, because, uh, because it's not ownable, it's not definable, uh, it's been appropriated to some extent by big brewers. Um, and the, 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 the small independent brewers of the world are kind of realigning themselves around the word independent instead of yeah. craft. Um, because that's easy to own. It's, it's easy to kind of define and, and to see in black and white terms, does this meet our criteria for independent or not? Um, and so that you, you could sense the idea that this means, well, craft is, craft, craft is undefinable, it's been abused, it's been appropriated. So I guess craft is just going to go the way that microbrewery did. Exactly, years. yeah. Uh, and my argument is that for all its problems, the word craft and the phrase craft beer is, is still worth saving and, and using in a slightly different, slightly reconfigured way. Uh, compared to how people at the Brewers Association have used it in the past. Uh, and I guess the key, my key soundbite is that if Youngling Light is a craft beer and Goose Island Bourbon County Stout is not a craft beer, then something's gone badly wrong there with, with the conversation. And, and there's, a, there's a sense that you could kind of reconfigure craft beer because Goose Island Bourbon County Stout is obviously a craft beer. Uh, in any sane discussion of the term, it just happens to be owned by a big, by the big evil empire. Yeah. Uh, and so what I did was go back to craft as a much broader concept and tracing it back to the arts and crafts movement, how it's evolved over the last 150 years, um, and then bring it back to beer. 
uh, and then look at beer, look at craft beer from within the context of, of craft as a broader movement. And it just brings you back into it from a completely different angle. And one would argue, I, I, what I would argue is a, is a more useful angle. What's interesting and, and, and that I, I found interesting in the book is when talking about arts and crafts, you also brought money into the equation and yeah. that funding is important. And that's sort of, I think, in the romantic notion and narrative of craft, you know, for a long time, you know, you had brewers who were saying, oh, it's not about the money. You know, I just want to make beer. You know, this is about passion. It's not about the money. Um, but money's important. Yeah, it's got to be. Um, it, it's it's got to be there at some point, and it, it does force you to come up to come. Up, sorry, it does force you to come up against some uncomfortable truths. So I, I had this kind of awkwardness. So the arts and crafts movement um, was about giving dignity back to work, um, and allowing craftspeople to do fully joined up jobs to have some ownership over the of the fruits of their labours to to do work that was meaningful rather than kind of. Uh, production line led um, and if you're going to do that it costs more money so the only people who can buy afford to buy the products are rich people and and craft beer is a luxury purchase craft beer costs a lot more than, than mainstream beer and the people making it you, you've got to make a living you, you, you've got to have you've got to have a job and mm-hmm. and so I've, I've argued that you know craft is mainly a product of, of the most affluent societies in the world and and it shouldn't have to apologize for that you know we might not like uh, bud, but bud is a well-made, consistent um, beer that will satisfy. If you want a cold beer at, at a game, it satisfies that need. If you then want to trade up and pay more for something that is uh, smaller, artisanal, handmade, whatever, then then that is almost like a like a, a political act, really. But mm-hmm. but yeah, it's got to be. Craftspeople have always had affluent patrons. There was this fun. Early on, as you know, microbrew, especially here in the state, gave way to people talking about craft. You know, there's this fun narrative, and you know, you could sort of almost picture, you know, what it was. You just mentioned artisanal and handmade as well, and and, and it yeah. sort of brought that um, to 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 the forefront. And then I think as the industry grew, it, it very quickly got away from people. Um, who, who who do you think lost their way first? Was it the drinkers or was it the brewers? Um, I guess the, I guess the brewers, you know, craft from a, craft, craft is a multifaceted idea. Um, it, and, and we, we have this desire for simple, neat categorizations and things. Um, and early on in the book, I run through all the different aspects that used to be in a definition of craft beer, like handmade, using traditional ingredients, mm-hmm. th- things like this. And, and if you, these are all desirable elements. They're all things that, uh, like I said, give meaning to the maker. You know, a craftsperson gets more out of being physically embodied in their work, uh, being, embodied, being able to have some measure of control in it from, um, you know, from mashing in uh, all the way through to packaging rather than just sitting there and pushing a button or whatever. Right. Um, as they're all nice things to have. And they're also the reasons why consumers enjoy, the, the, they're the reasons that consumers enjoy buying into. Um, but if you start to make each element of that a mandatory, so if it doesn't have this, then it's not craft beer, then you, then you have all sorts of different um, 
hiccups in the way and obstacles in the way. So if, if a brewer is successful and they grow, if a brewer makes an experimental beer, if a brewer starts exporting some beer, then they no longer count as craft brewers. So all these different appealing elements of the definition got shorn away one by one um, until we end up talking about independence. And you read broader in the, in the broader thing of craft and independence of ownership is never even mentioned in, in any discussion of craft apart from in beer. Let's track this back just a little bit. You, you talk about Vince Catone uh, in the book, who is largely credited with, with bringing craft into the beer lexicon. Um, can you tell his story? Yeah, I mean, so this was, um, I, 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 don't, I do think it's a great story. Um, so late, late 70s, early 80s, there's this movement of small brewers, um, and they were being referred to in the press as microbrewers. And this is, this is the thing that takes you back to uh, a few decades. The industry didn't like the term microbrewers because not, not because it was saying that they were tiny or anything, but because it sounded like microchip and microcomputer, which, which is what we were calling personal computers back then. Mm -hmm. So you got this kind of folksy, rural, imagery-laden thing, and you say microbrewers, and people think of modern technology and the future and robots and things. Um, and so Catone's intention was to was to come up with a term that was accurate uh that that, that fairly described the this these small brewers not in reference to size but of course size was the first element of his definition that he right. put in there uh and then he talked about um natural ingredients uh, he talked about um uh handmade handcrafted being being involved in the process um all of which were good things didn't mention independence of ownership at all uh that just wasn't relevant um, at, at the start of the craft movement. So, so I've, I've kind of been a bit mean on him, mean to him in the book because his definition is so good. It, it's very clear, it lists all these different points that he says, I believe uh, that this is what makes a craft brewer. Um, and, and, and because it's so clear, I've used it to pick apart the arguments over the definition of craft, which looks like I'm, so I'm not taking a chapter to destroy his, <laughs> this, this couple of sentences that he wrote. His legacy, uh, yeah. Uh, 35 years ago. Um, uh, but only because it's a useful framework. I, th I think he did a very good thing. You know, he, he was up in the Northwest and he was trying to articulate what was special about all these uh, brewers that he was encountering and, and trying to describe a movement. And, you know, when you do something like that, I've witnessed the same thing in, uh, in the music industry as well. Um, you come up with a term, you write an essay, you come up with a term and you think, yeah, I'm pretty pleased with that. That, that kind of conveys what, as a writer, I was, I was trying to get across. And then as years go by, you, you, you can't conceive of how, how much baggage is going to become attached to that term <laughs> and how, how laborious it's going to get. And I'm, I'm sure there must have been time regretted ever writing it. Mm. So the term takes off in the U.S. as Britain's micro scene, craft scene, uh, artisanal, handcrafted, whatever, uh, started to take off, which which was a few years behind the the U.S. Did the brewers there who were who were drawing some inspiration from what was happening in the U.S. Um, did the term just sort of jump the pond or? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, I think around two thousand, around two thousand eight, two thousand nine, it started becoming that. That's I, I've gone back over my blog, and that's when I started using it uh, in relation to British breweries. Um, Brewdog as the biggest kind of 
you know, game changer in the UK brewing scene. Sure. They're very enthusiastic about using it as a term. Um, and they had modeled so much of their look and, and everything off Absolutely. of stone, which was, which was using that term. Yeah. Yeah. And it was really useful for them because, you know, the, the key, key difference between our two countries uh, is that when you had craft beer, spring to life that was against a backdrop of there being of, of america being a beer desert uh, of there being nothing next to nothing that was any any good there the uk already had the cascale uh movement they already had camera they already had this old traditional uh craft brewing movement i argue in the book that it's every american speak to regards British Cascale to be the epitome of craft beer. People in Britain think it's old, boring and fuddy-duddy and craft beer is something exciting and, and from America. So, so we, we have our traditional craft beer movement, but we don't call it craft beer. Um, and Brewdog used the term craft beer to differentiate themselves, not only from mainstream commercial lager, but also from this slightly old-fashioned, slightly inward-looking world of, of traditional uh, British ale. And so I guess what we did then was we tried to appropriate the American definition, which, right. you know, all the problems that you've had over there with trying to define <laughs> it were just tenfold over here. They just don't work at all. Uh, any, any brewer uh, who brews less than six million barrels, there isn't a brewer in the UK who's that big. So, I, so how did the UK then work to sort of make it its own and fit its own definition? Because you travel uh, the world uh, quite a bit and I've seen you at various spots around the globe. And when we go to new countries, everybody has their own definition, you know, and it's, it's slightly different and we sort of understand, you know, what it is, but the 6 million barrel um, is, is a perfect example of something that just doesn't translate from one country to the next. No. Um, and tr yeah. truth be told, attempts, but no one ever, the, no, no one ever came up with a good enough, a good enough definition. No, no one, no one credibly uh, tried. Brewdog tried at one point. There's a lot of attempts when you start researching. There's a lot of attempts to define craft where people have, have said, "Look, here it is. I've thought about it. Uh, here's what we think craft beer should be," and it sits on a blog somewhere and yeah. just gets ignored. It, 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 nothing gained. Nothing ever gained traction. Um, so, so by the time, you know, we're still worrying about this, still kind of arguing about it, a fairly large consistency of people saying, constituency of people saying, it, look, it's just a worthless phrase, it's a worthless phrase. And so this kind of shift back towards independence came as kind of a, a bit of a sigh of relief, certainly for the industry. Well, what's also interesting, too, is that the Brewers Association here in the U.S. was always quick to point out that their definition was about craft brewers, not necessarily the liquid itself, but more of the institution. Yeah. Uh, or the company making the product. Um, and, you know, if you, if you talk to Julia Hers, who uh, was recently laid off by the Brewers Association, you know, she was quick to point out, you know, like we don't define the beer, you know, we just you know, define our members. Um, so it was more about, you know, the business as opposed to, you know, I think what Vince was talking about in those early days of, you know, the actual pint itself. Um, what, what, what's interesting also is it, we've seen the word craft pop up in other industries now you know here in the u.s uh, dunkin donuts the, the the coffee chain talks about its uh you know handcrafted lattes uh yes. you know, chapstick has you know their their you know, handcrafted lip balm um you know craft has sort of taken on um a, an extra level of uh meaninglessness i guess of people just trying to promote i don't know 
I don't want to say junk, but um, to give consumers, I think, a false impression. So it's not just yeah. beer, but it's other it's other products, and 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 you've seen that around the world as well. I was I was reading an essay that made exactly that point uh, in my research for this book, and then when I was doing my bibliography, uh, I looked at when this essay was uh, was published, and it was published in 1982. So <laughs> <laughs> it's it's always been thus. You know, there was a huge craft boom in the 1970s. Um, and it all it, like across across uh, forget beer across absolutely everything, and um, and it's it's often it happens at times when the nature of work changes, when the nature of society changes, when we feel very insecure, and we just want the comfort of feeling that something is traditional, uh, that has a great deal of continuity, that it's smaller, it's on a more human scale, and and those are very very reassuring concepts for an awful lot of people, which is which is why craft does get so overused and abused and it's been happening forever it's been it's been happening for as long as there's been kind of commercial marketing and advertising um i i find it fascinating because it's also there's a big lot of stuff about how craft is kind of a countercultural movement mm -hmm. um if, if 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 industry is given as a way where we can all have cheap easily affordable consistent reliable goods uh, then it's actually it's actually quite outrageous to then pay more for something that's probably got flaws and imperfections and inconsistencies, um, and and we we just kind of like that kind of I'm not part of the machine I'm not part of uh, this this huge industrial complex I'm making individual decisions, and and that's why people do it because it's just a it's like when when Bill Hicks did this routine about marketers and advertisers. Um, and railing against how evil they were. And so yeah, the response to that is, oh, Bill's going for the anti-marketing dollar. That's a very good dollar. Um, and and <laughs> I'm afraid as long as that's the case, it's going to happen. There's been, uh, and in thinking about this interview and getting ready for it, I went back uh, to when I was editor at All About Beer magazine. And for the 35th anniversary, which I guess would have been five years ago, we did a cover called Craft Beer is Dead, Long Live Craft Beer. Yeah, um, and uh, Stan Hieronymus did a, a a a great story, sort of recounting the the American version of craft, and uh, and I wrote an editorial uh, that sort of challenged craft as well. And at the time, I was saying that there's too many brewers that are using it as a shield, um, and using or using it as a, a as a blanket to sort of cover up their own flaws. When we're talking about craft, and especially in in terms of beer. Where does quality come in? It's a really interesting one, isn't it? Uh, if, you, if you look broadly in craft, then ideas of quality and skill are absolutely at the centre of any single uh, conversation or, or aspect of, of craft. And we assume uh, a, a better quality. We expect quality. Um, if, if they're doing it on a small scale using artisanal methods, then it's going to be better quality than something that's industrially produced. And it's just not true. Uh, and it's not true in craft beer, uh, particularly to, to, to a large degree. Um, and we've always talked about, you know, you might not like Budweiser, but it's, a, it's, it's quality is second to none. Yeah. Uh, I, talk, I talk about how Carling, the biggest beer brand in the UK, uh, has a much higher spec for its malting barley than any craft brewer does because they can't <laughs> afford inconsistency and things like that. Yeah. And when I get round to the end of the book and I'm talking about my, nef my definition of, of craft or not definition but my, my sort of meaning of craft um, I put quality and skill absolutely at the heart of it and I make the point that every brewing association around the world is now saying we need to give consumers uh, a seal 
uh, an independent seal on our packaging and encourage everyone to use it so that consumers can be reassured that this comes from an independent brewery. I've not seen any suggestion that we should be giving uh, consumers a seal that reassures them that this beer is of acceptable quality. Yes, hundred uh, percent. And I've been saying that for years as well. Yeah. That has to change. That has to change. Any craftsman since, since, since the middle ages, any craftsman has to do a long apprenticeship uh, before they can call themselves uh, a, a craftsman. Uh, and I should say craftsperson, but historically it's always been a craftsman. Um, and, you know, there are people in brewing who go on apprenticeships. There are great apprenticeship schemes. But at the same time, I could buy a five-barrel brew, brew kit and call myself a craft brewer, and no one could stop me from doing that. And I, and I, I think quality has to go back. If, if craft is to endure, both as an industry and as a concept, and as an extraordinary consumer movement around the world, then, then it has to address the quality issue. I want people to buy the book, so I don't want you to give away... You know, too much because no because 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 they should they they every, everybody who is drinking beer these days regardless of of who's making it should be um uh, uh should be reading this book and, and and being challenged to to think but is there a way out of this mess that we've gotten ourselves into um i, I think so and i think it's uh it's about just taking a deep breath um and it's about uh thinking about it in a, in a broader in a broader sense. Again, I'm trying to measure my words now so I don't give too much away. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's stop, stop worrying about a technical definition that can be measured. Um, and just think about the broader concepts. You know, every time there's a survey uh, here in the UK that I've seen and someone says, can, can you describe what a craft beer is? And people go, yep. Do, do you drink craft beer? Yes, I do. Do you know what it is? Yes, I do. Okay, what is it? And it's like, there's not there's not a precise technical definition but there's a kind of cloud of meaning around various concepts so 42 percent of people will say well it's probably small batch brewing um 50 percent of people will say it's probably from a local brewer and and, it, and these things are you know that they're, they're only they're, they're, every every answer is around 40 to 50 percent so they can't be definitive but but they're good enough it's like it, it's like you know I, I might not be able to define it but i can describe it uh, yeah. and, and, and that should be enough. And, and the issue is always, the, the issue has come up because at the margins, we're trying to say, okay, I need to, I need to define whether beer A is a craft beer and B, beer B is not a craft beer. And we spend all our time looking at that. Whereas in the center, there's thousands of breweries and thousands of beers where it's beyond a doubt that they're craft beer, uh, however we choose to define it. And I, I appreciate that, speaking as a if, if the if the ba is speaking as a trade association then they have an important job to do about saying who who is allowed and who isn't allowed in our in our trade association i think there's a number there's a group of consumers who are very interested in making sure that they buy from a small independent brewery and they should be given very clear information as to the ownership of the brewery or not but there's also a much bigger group of people who just want to drink interesting beer. And, uh, and I, I, I believe that we should be able to call that craft beer because they're into it, not just for the expectations of taste, but because of all these other associations that kind of cloud around it. With so much going on in the world right now, and obviously the U.S. is going through uh, the resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement uh, and having uh, very difficult but very necessary conversations, is, is this the sort of thing that you think beer should be thinking about right now? 
I think everyone should be thinking about it. And it's, you know, I, I, my, my biggest failing is that I get drawn into Twitter debates about this, especially after having a few beers, um, which I wish you could I, I'm waiting for the iPhone to develop a blood alcohol monitor that shuts me out of social Wouldn't media. Wouldn't that be great? Yeah. <laughs> it would be fantastic. Um, but, you know, there's a, there's a strong argument that, that beer should, that politics should be kept out of beer. Um, and I can appreciate why someone would make that argument. I can understand their point of view uh, where people might say, look, I come to beer to get away from all that shit. Beer is just about relaxing and, 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 and not worrying about the problems of the world. And I respect that point of view, but I don't agree with it. Um, uh, and I, I think that beer is, beer is politics, beer is people, and, and, and you can't screen these things off. And, and it starts with issues within the industry itself. Um, you know, as a writer, publishing is the same. You know, people of colour are just massively, massively underrepresented, and you've got to ask why that is, and um, and, and 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 do something about it. Uh, I, I do believe that we're uh, that we have that we we're unconscious of our privilege uh, a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we're more conscious of ways in which we're all disadvantaged. I'm disadvantaged in some ways, um, and I'm more conscious of that than I am of the advantages that I have uh, versus other people. And there was a, a, a tweet by Garrett Oliver a few uh, weeks ago at the start of the whole uh, conflagration of Black Lives Matter again. And just, you think, these huge groups of people, every single one of them has experienced prejudice at various points in their lives um, but based on their skip culture. So I'm, I, I'm not, I have to check my privilege because I'm not the most qualified person to talk about it, but I do basically think that we should be looking at these issues. And, and then my second point, which is, I should have got to a lot quicker, um, is that within craft beer, we do have an expectation that it will be more progressive in its politics, the mainstream yeah. industry. Um, whether that's right or wrong, it exists. Uh, and I am impressed with the way that craft is always ahead of the mainstream in, discuss- in discussing difficult issues like this. Before we go, and I'm going to give you just a minute to think about it, but uh, I get asked by a lot of friends who travel to London, uh, I guess when we actually could travel to London before uh, <laughs> we were banned from, from getting to your island, um, <laughs> people are asking me where to go for a proper pint, and I usually uh, go to you for that. So um, I'm going to ask you where visitors should go to get that quintessential pub experience when visiting your city. Uh, but while you think about that, I'm going to remind folks that the show is produced by Beer Edge. Check out BeerEdge.com and subscribe to the newsletter and also download the Beer Edge podcast hosted by Andy Crouch with new episodes each week. And also check out Steal This Beer and the BYO Nano podcast available where podcasts are found. And please don't forget to go on to Apple Podcasts wherever you download and leave a review of this show. If you have questions, suggestions, or guests you'd like to hear, you can email me at johnhall at BeerEdge.com. That's J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L or reach out on Twitter at John underscore Hall. Nate Schweber does the music. Jeff Quinn designed the logo. And Pete Brown, where should people go for a proper pint in your city? So if you don't want uh, British tribute acts to American craft beer, if you're looking for the quintessential British experience, um, it's better to go to um, older traditional pubs. Um, a lot of them are owned by big chains, but, but, they're, but they're very well run. Uh, I did quite a few in my book, The Pub. Uh, yes. I, would say, I would say get out of uh, the West End, out of Oxford Street. There aren't too many around there. They, they kind of see the tourists coming and uh, <laughs> do, do the lowest common denominator thing. Um, but just at random, I could probably reel off 10. There's a, there's a great pub called The Star 
uh, tavern in uh, Hoban, which is kind of legal, where all the courts are, the, the legal district. And it's tucked away at the back. And it's just a taste of old London. It's, um, it's where lawyers come to uh, kind of have sneaky chats over, over a brief or whatever. Um, it's where people come to kind of sit and have an afternoon glass of wine. I think 3, 3 p.m. in London is a, is a superb time to, to check out old pubs like that uh, with, with great cask beer. It's, it's got to be part of great cask beer. Um, any, any good Fuller's pub is a place where you're going to get a great pint of ESP or something like that. Um, Has that changed since uh, they changed ownership? A little bit, a little bit. The range is changing. Asahi, who, who now own them, have far too many beers now in their portfolio um to manage effectively so they're going to have to get rid of some great beers in, in order to kind of run the business forward mm-hmm. but still as a oh in fact no that's where i went in fact same name different pub same name the star tavern um this that's one in not Belgravia. confusing at all yeah <laughs> uh, the, the star tavern in belgravia uh is the pub that your near namesake john hall used to visit um and it was the, the inspiration for him to start goose island all those years ago and a, a different a spelling of, but yes that's yes. fine yeah uh, and and a pint of ESP in there, I would say, is the quintessential British pub experience. I got there in the end. Okay. Pete Brown, he's got a new book out. It's called Craft and Argument, and it's now available where fine books are sold or downloaded. Make sure you get a copy today, and you can also learn more about Pete and all of his many, many, many other books that make all of the other people who write about beer look bad uh, at PeteBrown.net. Pete, thanks for being on the show. Thank you very much. And thank you all for listening. I'm John Hall. New episodes release every Wednesday. And that's when I'll be back again to drink beer and to